My name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. This episode, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with a long-term friend, Deborah Worthy-Collins. Deborah and I have weathered life's ups and downs and witnessed each other's growth for over a decade. We sat down to talk about her thoughts, experiences and musings as a professional artist on the topic of self-expression. Deborah is a multidisciplinary artist working across painting and textiles and has exhibited extensively. Her work is deeply explorative, complex and thought-provoking. Recycled and used fabrics are processed through dyes, resin and burial and bound through hand-stitching, gathering and wrapping. Her watercolours are layered, rich and evocative. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hello Deborah, thank you for coming on Art Muse podcast. It's so exciting to have you. I'm so excited to be here, Liana. Thanks for interview. So I thought just to get us warmed up and for the listeners to get to know a little bit more about you, if you just wanted to share a bit more about your art making journey, I guess, and um what's led you to living an artist's life and yeah a bit more about your practice whatever you feel comfortable sharing yeah sure so I mean I've been I don't know how long I could officially say I've been an artist for but I do know that there was a very kind of pivotal time for me where there was like a a real decision that I was going to be an artist and that was when I was 16 and it was in a literature class And at the same time, I was doing, you know, art classes at high school. But in this literature class, we read a book called My Name is Asha Lev by Chaim Potok. And this book was about an Orthodox um, Jewish boy who, you know, became an artist. And it kind of was a fictional book about his journey into becoming an artist. And I think that really... I don't know, something just hooked me after that book. And it wasn't that I was like an amazing artist uh, or doing, you know, doing outstanding things in my art classes. But I think the thing about that book was it just kind of really talked to my um, 16-year-old angst, I think, and really kind of demonstrated the way that art can be the me- a medium for self-expression and I think particularly I guess being a teenager but also just being a human with very big feelings and having always been a human with very, very big feelings there was something really exciting about a place that I could channel that and I think that also as somebody who experiences the world in quite a sensory way there was something in that book where, you know, he, I mean, he was a painter. Um, the, the, the character in the book was a painter. But, you know, it just kind of really, I, I loved the way the author was talking about this painter's gestures and kind of really linking the, the body to thoughts or emotions. And I think that was really captivating for me. So, I mean, I've kind of, it's not been a straight line, but I really think I've been probably making since I was 16 what I would call artworks but I've also just been that person who's never really not been making or like needing to do something with their body then went into I think I went to TAFE for a while after that and then eventually did my degree um, at ECU um, my art degree and I suppose that's kind of where I really got a little more exposure to different ways of art making. I think pretty intent going into the degree that I wanted to do painting, but I did a textile-based class with you mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, I really got hooked on textiles. We had John Parks um, teaching us textile art and at that point in time the fashion was separate from textiles so it was like a totally separate thing and just that way of thinking and manipulating 
a material and being really grounded in a material, I think was really a revelation for me. And I kind of understand that a little bit better now in the way that, I don't know, like I, I don't have, so like when I close my eyes, I don't see images or I can't hold images in my head. And so like, I am a very imaginative person, but like, I guess in terms of like maybe traditional drawing and looking, I, I'd really struggle with the cognitive functions of, you know, space and understanding that. And, you know, I could draw and um, obviously, but moving into um, uni, it was a lot more about mark making and, and about also materials as well. Oh, that's what I kind of really gravitated to. And I think I found that quite liberating to come out of that very, I guess, high school, you know, drawing things that look like things and, um, and there's nothing totally, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just like acknowledging that that's not how my brain works. And also how, you know, finding a medium that kind of fit a lot better with my way of thinking and being in the world. I think that was really Yeah, that was, that's me. really interesting, isn't it? Because like high school takes, well, when we were, you know, going through secondary school, it was taking a very traditional approach to uh, mm. learning art, which is that kind of studying of masters and art history. And then, you know, like you said, replicating images and having quite a prescriptive process. And then we immersed ourselves in a degree at the time that I think had gone through a reasonable amount of change. And in some ways, I there was some aspects of our university degree that I got frustrated with. Like I sort of really wanted that kind of art history, kind of traditional, like traineeship, I guess. But the way that you've just described it, actually, I can see so much value in how we were immersed in such a broad range of materials. And like you said, it really facilitated for a lot of people a really different approach to artistry and actually being able to explore you know that self-expression and you know the mark making and it not being so outcome based and I think like yeah you remember me in textiles but I actually remember you in printmaking was the first time I sort of remember connecting with you and I think we also did you know we went on to do some other units together like glass the glass unit was really fascinating and we got exposed to how glass was made and sort of witnessed and um, got to dabble in a few little things there as well um, and I do remember the textiles class we got exposed. John took us through, you know, how to use natural materials to dye, which obviously came became a big part of your practice further down the track. So it was, yeah, it's sort of interesting to kind of think about that contrast between going from the academic high school setting to going to the academic university setting, but actually how different they were. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the teachers themselves and the lecturers themselves. Yeah, something I yeah. do remember about you in printmaking, though, which I don't know if you remember, was that you did a body of work with skulls. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, um, I know. And, like, oh, yeah. I was, yeah, sort of really looking forward to kind of dipping into that a bit more, like your the content of your um, yeah. art expression. Because, yeah. like, we're, we were quite young when we were studying, but you can see these themes of yourself develop, you know, over the last decade of practicing but even earlier because I remember being quite surprised um at the skulls and like that kind of symbolism of death and kind of like being quite confronted by it and also just so admiring that you were willing to draw something that belonged to like death I guess um and that fascinated me even back then about you was that your exploration of like these really intimate themes I'd love to hear a little bit about like your journey from a theme sense like which we've already started talking about material so I don't know if you want to speak to that a bit more yeah we'll kind of start to unpack a little bit about your themes of art making and is it like a dual process where you approach when you're self-expressing um you mentioned that you are drawn a lot to mark making and I know that you experiment a lot in your studio and it, it is very like process and material driven is there like a parallel that happens with like the conceptual side of things and do you think that's changed over time like when you were at university did you approach it from more of a conceptual framework and then try and add in the process I think it's been a it was a journey and I think one that really started at uni and 
I suppose like that transition from what I thought I was going to be as an artist to, you know, kind of really questioning that. I, I mean, I've always had a very strong theme. And like, I think for me, it really is primarily about exploring themes and and usually very tough ones. And I think that as a very deeply feeling human, I seem to go very quickly to the hardest place. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if it's a personality thing, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what that, that's about. But I think that potentially what it is and what it has been for me and even, you know, even way back then is I just, I feel a lot and kind of exploring hard stuff was maybe a way of matching what I'm feeling to the things that went, I don't know, went around for me. And I guess the thing that has always kind of been in the forefront of my art practice is that ability or the desire to explore things that people maybe aren't talking about. And, you know, people might not be talking about them, but they're things that impact me and I'm surely other people. But I've just kind of always moved towards that and seen my art practice as a way of exploring things that maybe I I don't engage with in my everyday life in such a deep way. So, yeah, death was one of them and has been one of them. And I think that, I guess, really transitioned, like that really kind of within the, I think the third year of my degree, I just realised that exploring these really big themes is really very hard in terms of then having, you know, what does a work look like? when you're exploring, like, what what exactly do I want to get out of this this exploration? And I think at the same time, for me personally, was acknowledging that I wanted a space where I could kind of develop myself as a person in ways. And I was really into Buddhist philosophy and learning a lot about that. And the idea of kind of meditation or just um, living mindfully um, was really important for me as well. And that kind of came alongside that idea of death as well. And that being present was a way of experiencing something without kind of attaching judgment to it. And almost like my studio practice became yeah this process of how can I sit with something that happens to everyone and kind of sit with sometimes the distress or discomfort that comes that comes up in me and somehow maybe maybe I was looking for transformation I think particularly then and I suppose that's how I went into more of a processed based practice where I kind of use processes that require me to be in one place for usually long periods of time and there's a kind of durational aspect to my making which I think really like textiles lends itself to that really well because you know we're talking often about slowness and often people say meditative ways of making that kind of allow me to sit and that was really interesting then to then well how do I move my studio based process to something that also speaks to a viewer and you know there's that kind of challenge again where you're kind of taking something from the studio out into the world but I think actually being a process artist based artist which I would probably I guess call myself now it's just like it served me well because you know very soon after university I was pregnant and I've had two I had had two children and you know that was a real not disruption well actually at the time I really did consider it to be a disruption to my art practice in some ways but it's actually been a real another kind of really steep learning and I think 
it happening really soon after the degree was a way that I was like, okay, so if I want to practice art and also I want to be with my children and be a mum, I really had to kind of put my money where my mouth was with my art practice actually being integrated into my life in a very meaningful way. And actually that was one of, I think a big thing for me with art making is boundaries. And, you know, for me with, you know, again, I go back to like a deeply feeling person, a very, I think a lot, and I'm a very interested person as well. I think that my my materials actually had to fit into my life. And I don't think that's a very fashionable thing to say, actually, because like I think at that point in time, a lot of the rhetoric I think I I kind of had at all, I was actually pushing a, back a lot from a quite a religious upbringing where I felt like my path as a woman was very kind of set in stone and a career wasn't really one of them. But I, at that point, I realised that a career in art was very important to me, but also being a mum was very important to me. Mm. And I and think it's a conversation yeah. that's missing a lot from the art world. You know, it's not Ooh. a shiny, exciting conversation to have no. about how art has to be practical sometimes. And like you said, how you have exactly. to mould it around other values in your life and other demands yeah. in your life. I think people still really romanticise artists and stereotype them as and it's quite an immersive experience like everything you've been saying is that art is kind of like this echo chamber where we're echoing out our internal experiences so in that way it is quite solitary it is quite a solitary journey and I think a lot of people do think of it as you know an artist kind of immersed in that full time and yeah and that I think that's something that I've really had to unpack because again we kind of like it or not there's there is a a dominant paradigm that has only really in very recent years begun to shift where, yeah, an artist was that tortured person who was in the studio all the time and didn't compromise maybe their work for because of their life or, you know, and I think I, I was like, well, can I still be an artist and that not be the case? And does that have to be mutually exclusive? And I think what I found is I feel that actually from when I know that I'm making good work or that things are going well in the studio, yeah, you're right, There's like, that there, is, there is a dynamic and that I can actually play off that dynamic a lot, even like thematically. You know, I, I've given birth twice and thinking it really actually put into perspective that idea of death and you know not long after my first child was born my grandmother died and really kind of shifted again how I considered death or I considered birth or I considered maybe even what being a mum or what being an artist was and I guess in a way what I thought was about themes, what I thought was about death and what I thought was about, you know, mindfulness and what I thought was about that was actually maybe more of a a way of recording because I've started from a very young age has just been my art process has almost tracked that development of those ideas in a meaningful way and how it's kind of been expressed in my life. And there's that real like kind of relationship with the works that have come from that. Yeah, it's still death, but maybe more broadly life cycle and that real fascination that I had with these opposing forces of life and death and how like tightly they sit with each other and like how tightly they were connected. And I think also just exploring that idea of fluidity of that, that kind of death Rings of kind of making us the same as any other living thing in terms of the way our body changes. And people say and, that the veil yeah. is so thin, you know, and I think yeah. when you have, you know, you experience death is that that becomes very immediate, that there is yeah. thinness between um, the living and the dead. Um, it's so interesting, I think, to think about like your experience and your journey. And when you said, 
you know, that you left uni and you fell pregnant quite soon after. And at the time that felt quite disruptive. And I think absolutely like we had so much enthusiasm when we finish something, particularly study, and you kind of sort of have this vision of what you think things are going to look like. And I think we do that throughout life, regardless of whether we're newly qualified or got a have finished a project or whatever we have sort of have this vision of what it's gonna what life's gonna look like for us and then something comes along I think the beautiful thing for you and hearing you speak is that your practice is so open to allowing like a dialogue you dialogue by conceptually approaching things with curiosity but life almost dialogues back with you so you have like you said you have a natural curiosity based on um you know your experiences of death and you know your family's relationship Mm. with religion and but then in turn life has kind of given you other experiences like becoming a mum and the birth experience and so there's this really like amazing dialogue that sort of I think your practice is open to um, and because you're so process driven in a way that might be different to someone that has that very strong image based so we're very different that way I think I have almost finished a painting in my head before I do one (laughs) Um, yeah but you're you're so investigative um, along the way, and really, that takes a lot of vulnerability to let your artwork take shape. I mean, you obviously yeah. have some idea of what you'd like to try, explore, and experiment with. But I think that openness and that vulnerability, and that like you said, that process of discomfort is so parallel with life as well. Like we're often in this unknown, anticipate anticipatory state where we're not sure what's ahead. We sort of have some idea, but we really get benefit if we just let it unfold and for I guess for the listeners like a little bit more when we say your process based art making and practice particularly with textiles is really quite unique and I I really um would love to hear a little bit more about your description of it but I mean my some of my memories are that you've like buried cloth and let it start to disintegrate and then um uncovered it I think your boys were at least one of them was born when you were doing some Mm -hmm. of that process which also is also quite like fascinating with the rhythms of life, like burying cloth and sort of leaving it um, and attending to the calls of duty of motherhood and then coming back mm. and unburying it and working with it more. But did you want to share a little bit about yeah. any of, um, let people know, I guess, what we mean when we say process-based and yeah. talking textiles? Yeah. So, I mean, oh, it's actually really helpful to hear you um summarize it like that actually because it's just funny like having to even like label what my work is it feels so like uncomfortable for me because and I think that really speaks to the fact that I have just been doing it for so long and you kind of when you're doing it forget I have been working with textiles primarily secondhand materials and mostly like bed sheets so mostly things that have come in contact with the human body so it's already been processed for me in some ways up until that point it's already had a life yeah it's already had a life I just have a very strong I maybe pull towards things that are just have been so intimately in contact with the body there's something really um, special for me when I think about that and then I think like symbolically as well, textiles, you know, they are a second skin and there's that way that this, like your body, that that largest organ of your body rubs up against the textile and, you know, it softens it and, you know, there's just something really nice about that as the fibres kind of break down and I think about the way our fibres of our skin are breaking down, like there's that kind of real... um, you know, thin, a very close, intimate um, relationship with that. So, yeah, I was bearing it and I think that was a lot to do with my explorations with death and looking at how that decomposed. So that was, you know, one process. I've also done some burning of textiles as well, but my kids have actually been around most of the time that I've been doing that really and yeah, poor things are going to grow up. <laughs> I've grown up with seeing their mother do a lot of strange things. Um, but They've seen their mother play. They love I it. And that, really I, that's it. And I think that's the thing is that 
like I said, like I just feel like I have been making my whole life and whether I call myself an artist or not, but actually having kids around has given me the permission to just continue playing. And really like I think when we talk about process-based art, it's just a fancy way of saying I just play with stuff and a lot of the time it is like, yeah, like I've got this idea in my head, let's give it a go. And I have, I give myself a lot of permission and a lot of space because I, I built a practice around, I guess, curiosity in lots of ways and do things that might, might not work or might not become anything in the end. Um, so I guess my studio is just full of bits and pieces and things that I've done and having a very loose hold on an outcome. And that is very scary, mm-hmm. especially when there are deadlines. It can be liberating and it can be fun, but also like children and if you watch children play, not all of their play is fun. And I think it's a lot more about being able to, like, one, be in the flow and also, to know that I have a very, like, a very kinetic way of experiencing the world and I, my brain works a lot faster and my body kind of reacts to that and then it takes me a while to process. So, like, you know, there's a, that kind of thematic exploration through my processes but there's also the way that I've kind of, developed my studio practice and am still developing my studio practice to have those moments of very rapid doing so it might be I'm going to bury a cloth and it's very kind of can be quite impulsive but then to go I trust the action that I've just taken like I have to trust the action that I've just taken and now what is the process that I'm going to do that might be quite slow where I can understand that action a little bit more. So then it's like that process of burial. And obviously that's not necessarily quick, but I think the decision to do those things can be quick. So recently, yeah, I've done natural dyes and there's also an element of chance to that as well. And I like that idea that I'm collaborating with things that I don't have control over. So I'm using things I don't have control over and are tricky like water and dyes and there's like so many, you know, variables with the pH levels and the way that that might interact with the pigment and the fat fibre and the way that the fibre might take or not take the pigment. There's all these kind of variables that happen. And then it's, I've made this decision, this thing's happened what is my response? Bearing a cloth is quite variable. I could dig it up a week later and notice that like nothing's happened to it or I could dig it up a week later and I could have like five threads left. But like also what I've been kind of allowing a lot more is that within that variability also comes my life. So within that week of um, putting something in, so I've been doing a lot of cold processing of dyes. So they're kind of sitting for longer periods of time. And within that kind of variability range of the water and the pigment and, you know, the cloth is also the fact that during that week, one of my kids could get sick or something else could happen. And that's going to mean that maybe that didn't doesn't come out as quickly or maybe it comes out quicker because I'm trying to avoid doing something. But there's that's like a kind of another thing where I am looking at what's happening around me even my life just becomes another variable and then I can also investigate what is my response to that variable so for example um I I just finished a master of social work last year and I did it full-time for two years and I kind of developed this method I guess it's printmaking process but it's like using things from my kitchen um you know scraps of onion peelings or things from my garden and having my paper there and letting that sit in a vat or just a you know container of water and you know having that process happening and I was you know you know, I didn't have any shows coming up. It wasn't for anything and that was quite liberating for me because it was the first time actually 
you know, since calling myself an artist that I didn't have a deadline and I was literally just playing. But I kind of noticed that, you know, when I had an assignment due, (laughs) I would often be taking those papers out like after them only sitting there for a few hours. And, you know, after a few days of doing this, I kind of realised that, oh, what I um, this is an avoidance thing. Like I'm avoiding doing what I'm meant to be doing and I'm, you know, choosing to do this. And you could see it, like the work might not come out as clearly defined. And I would then reflect on, well, what happens to me when I notice that I'm avoiding doing this assignment and I'm taking these out and I'm not getting maybe a, as dark a mark as I want to. Like, you know, the temptation at that point is to go, okay, like, let's just start again. But for me, I've developed that process of, okay, like, that's just the way it is right now. Mm -hmm. And I can accept myself, my procrastination, and I can accept that desire not to want to do something. And I will keep reprinting. And it's not that I chuck it away and start again. It's that that just becomes part of the work. Yeah, Um, another layer. And that's interesting, like, you say, obviously, it kind of mirrors your, you know, avoidance or procrastination. But my interpretation of that is also that, you know, your art, wake, art making is reflecting back at you like a restlessness, yes. like an energy that happens when we have assignments due, or we have deadlines. Um, and that, yeah. yeah, that energy shift into like, like for some people it's anxiety and for some people it's just a restlessness and like a, a lift of energy. And mm. it's cu- it'd be curious to know whether some of it is, oh, I, I'm much, th- this assignment is kind of like difficult and challenging and I'm just avoiding it. And some of it is I'm nurturing myself by dipping into my art making, but I'm also yeah. sharing and expressing some of the energy over here, even on the sub, obviously on a subconscious level, that how part of like your engagement with your art making is expressing some of that energy or just moderating it or you know yes. feeding in and self-nurturing and it's probably like a mixture of all of those things probably a little bit of it is avoidance and procrastination a little bit of it is just connecting with something that grounds you and expressing out some of that energy yeah it's just a really interesting I, yeah I love that reframe like I think that's a great a, a great reframe as well and I think that that's actually something that arts allowed me to do is to go, this is just where I am at this moment in time, but also to really think what do I need right now as well? And, yeah, sometimes like the process of art making is, you know, it's actually kind of trusting that that's what I needed at that point in time and that's okay, like that just is and it's okay you know, the opposite can happen where I've, like, had the most disgusting experience of, like, I've gotten caught up in something else and I've got my works there with, like, onion peels and, like, cabbage leaves. I notice it getting whiffier and whiffier and it's, like, I really <laughs> need to pull that out, almost, like, frozen in that inaction or I'm doing something else and it's, like, you know, oh, maybe I'm not actually prioritising that work right now and that's okay but also maybe there's something that I'm afraid of as well. Mm. Maybe the work's not moving in the way that I want it to and I kind of have slowed down. Like instead mm. of wanting distance from the academic work, it's like almost in that situation, like it's like different in that you want to do a bit of distance from your artwork and yourself yeah. and that intimacy that's in your artwork. Because it's interesting yeah. how we have these different moments where we push different things at arm's length. And like you said, it takes a lot of introspective thinking to be able to like explore why that might be or just be curious about it and yeah. assess what you need and whether and like I guess to tolerate or just to understand the boundary. And like you said, with some of your work, that's very different from pushing your oil painting away in the corner and sort of going, oh, I sh- you know, there's a part of me that's kind of drawn to that, but I'm just going to ignore it for three months to, oh, I've ignored the cabbage leaves stewing in the, <laughs> the yeah bat. and now and, and now, now people smells. are complaining yeah and I think like at that time you know I was literally working on the kitchen table and <laughs> I kind of like that was just another boundary for me was that well actually other people are using this space and I also have to be mindful of that and I think yeah working within those boundaries 
yeah, it has been really interesting. Just that other thing where my work creates the boundaries and my life creates the boundaries and there's just always that kind of intermingling of that. And I think, yeah, it was like physical, a physical process that was happening and that's still happening. But I think I'm just becoming a lot more aware and leaning in a lot more into the psychological, the way that. It sounds also like you're being much more gentle to yourself, which is lovely. I think we we all do it and we've all been through journeys of it, of pushing ourselves and having like idealising what we think things should look like. But it sounds like you've really activated a dialogue between, like you said, that triangle almost between you, family and the kind of like logistics of actual kind of physical life and then your art making and there's kind of like this constant bouncing between those points of the yeah. triangle and that sometimes one dialogue is more active than the other but there's like this constant navigation oh. between the three and I think yeah they become so interwoven in your practice which is really lovely something I wanted to go back to which is a little bit further back in our conversation now was this concept of like your art, the themes of your art making and your self-expression are so intimate. Like we're talking death and rebirth. And I know they're not your only themes. You've had like other themes as well. Um, but all of those are so intimate and you're making them in quite, um, you know, a private setting, whether it's in your home with your family or in your studio setting. But you've been very active in the exhibition scene and in shows, you know, collaboratively with other artists as well. And there's you know, not just an exposure that happens when you're working with those other artists to put together a show, but there's kind of this obviously exposure that happens when the general public comes to view your work. How do you approach that? Like that self-expression that suddenly becomes from private to public. Do you find that a difficult process to happen? Do you, is that something that towards the end of making your art, you start to kind of feeds into the art making itself? Or is that something you just try not to dwell on until it becomes time to install and then are you quite protective of how others view your work and you know where that whether they interpret in the way that's close to what you've experienced or whether you're open to people just taking what they need from it yeah that's a really yeah interesting question and I think something that I've been thinking a, a lot of recently particularly after doing social work. I think, you know, being in the art world, I guess, prior to to that and kind of being around people who are artists or who engage in art a lot, but then seeing that from the outside and realising how esoteric or, you know, art can be and how alienating that can be and particularly... I'm very conscious that my work can also has a potential of being extremely alienating to people because it's it is so abstract and it is so conceptual. But it's just something that I've been yeah thinking of a lot. Yeah. So um, do you mean alienating in the fact that you wonder if a viewer would come into a gallery and not be able to connect with your work because it feels yeah. to you quite an abstract concept? It's, it's mostly in terms of form, I think. I think that for a lot of people who don't view art, it's kind of a little easier, I think, and I'm totally making assumptions here, but it's, it's also what has been expressed to me as well, to kind of look at a painting or look at a sculpture that maybe has something that's very familiar to them. And even if it's abstract and, you know, just kind of, really attractive colors or you know something like that they can kind of hook into that really quickly and kind of get something from that whereas I guess I get concerned sometimes that and I don't know if this is just one a mixture of my work being that process based and just having that studio time and also me being like potentially like I'm quite an introverted person as well in lots of ways but like I, I do think about things maybe people don't always find comfortable and then I kind of forget that a little bit and then I'm like, well, I'm putting these works out into the world that, you know, either like quite emotionally loaded or like like their form is – I always try and bring it back to something familiar and that familiarity, I think textiles, like people always have a relationship with textiles and also the body is always very referenced in my work. Um, 
bodies are, you know, there's a lot of, been a lot of red in my work. I don't know, there's a very skin-like quality to a lot of my pieces. And I think that that's kind of a way that I also want to get people in. So it's that balance of like, I want to be able to challenge people. Like I'm a professional artist. Mm. And I, I think that that maybe is a little bit different from maybe being a, you know, that that's been my hobby. Like this is something that I, this is a, a profession. So in, t- in ways I feel like I have an obligation to one, yeah, like have that generosity of bringing people in, but also a way of challenging at the same time and getting that kind of balance right. But sorry, going back to your question, like I've totally gone off off key, but I freak out um, basically when I get close to a deadline. I've actually had to learn this about myself because I haven't stopped freaking out. And I, I've exhibited quite a few times, but like also there's been times that I haven't freaked out and I haven't... I've realized later once the work is up, I haven't been happy with the work. Um, but, when, you know, I, I do have that moment of real intense vulnerability because, yeah, the work's become so intertwined with my life. But also I don't actually want the works to be about my life when other people see it. Okay. And it's funny, that kind of balance. And I think I'm still working and thinking about that. And I was thinking about a lot is like my work can be personal but also it's not about exposing myself or about I don't know how to explain it but there's that kind of balance where it's also like if I'm going to have it out in the public it also has to be something that I think other people not can relate to obviously I I don't do it thinking like obviously with the viewer in mind necessarily um I'm not kind of making work thinking like what are people, what do people want to see? Like there has to be obviously that trust that like I'm making something and the people and people are going to take what they need from that. And that trust but, that like you're human yeah. and that we have this collective human experience. So yeah. that there will be some viewers that see something in your work just based on a commonality of human experience. And I think like gifting is really interesting that like when you think of exhibiting as like, like almost a separate journey to your own personal expression. Um, Obviously it's a product of that, but like you said, you don't have to expose all of you in that, that you're gifting something to a space for other people to have a shared experience. And I think that's the thing that, that has been a really, it's a hard transition, but it's it's actually been really important to my work is that I have my studio time and I'm, I'm making the studio and it's very personal and it's about me and about the themes and about, you know, difficult themes and me grappling with those. And then I kind of go into this space where it's still, it's not just about the viewer, but it's like, it's almost like a transition of my work and of me as an artist out of the studio into the world before opening night and then people are seeing it. But, you know, you move into this gallery space and all of a sudden you need to take talk to the curator and you need to talk to this person and you need to talk to the in, like, people who are installing and it's almost like that's an, a transition. I'm, I think of it as a transition to that, you know, time where I am speaking to viewers who are seeing my work there and it's a really... I guess over, you know, the couple of months or, you know, the few weeks leading up to that time, it can be very stressful for me. But it's also where I kind of really distill that um, and differentiate what is exposure and what is the work. And it's almost like I have to start separating myself from the work. So that's a time where I almost have to start separating myself from work and then being curious actually about the work in that space. I'm still learning about the work, all of Mm. my works, like, you know, my works that have been exhibited, my works that have been taken down, you know, having them up and often I've not, I don't get much time to spend with them before I have to start talking to them, uh, talking about them. And it's kind of like, well, I'm still learning about them. And that actually propels my studio practice further. And also my learning about them is actually fed from the viewers. So 
the conversations that I have surrounding them, my understanding about that thing, about that object is actually being influenced by other people who have not made it and responses from other people. Oh, that's so interesting, that conversation that happens and that learning that happens. Because when you speak about that, like, it is so true. Like, one of the elements that I initially drew away from the artist scene, like, we obviously want you continued to become a practicing artist and I sort of went down the art therapy route for a bit and have started to come back to my own practice. But one of the turnoffs for me was initially having to, like, be able to articulate you know and that happens a lot at university obviously you have to present your work and you know the process is kind of sped up and I hated that I hated having to like say well this is what my work's about and like you know write an um an an artist statement or a statement of the work because I was just like well I don't know yet um and I think like you said that dialogue continues for so long like it's constantly feeding back to you at different times and you will look back years later and see a different perspective again. Um, but I think the beautiful thing about sharing it is like we don't all share all of our work and there's something about art making in a private space that it can be intimate and it can stay intimate. You don't have to share artwork. Um, you know, art making is produced and consumed by the like public population, but at the same time it's just like intensely private self-expression so I think yeah there's definitely places for like exhibiting and keeping things private but the beautiful thing about sharing it with other people in the setting of a gallery space is you do get like this rich conversation that happens because people see all different things in it and they connect different parts of themselves for it and I think it's nice to hear that you're open as much as you know there's like an anxious process and like an anticipation and you know a bit of a freak out beforehand there's still like a gift of experience and some people are going to be resistant to that. Like some people find ambiguous or abstract or conceptual art really difficult because they don't connect with it or they're resistant to feeling that discomfort. And I think that's okay. You know, that sort of art isn't for everyone, but I think the people that really enjoy it are the people that are open to that experience and Mm. people that view art regularly, obviously train themselves to be more present and to observe like, that instant confrontation of I don't know what this is I don't understand it and to actually go well why and do I recognize anything I think that's the gift of art really and there isn't an elevator pitch and I think that's something I need to get better at maybe I need an elevator pitch um but I think that then you get these people who come and see your work and you know like they're people from like mums or dads from the school or like you're just these random people who are like, come see your work. And I love that. Like it is so uncomfortable. But then at the same time, I'm just, they're these people who are viewing work that they probably wouldn't have viewed otherwise. There's always going to be something that's familiar about my work if people are able to sit with it for a bit. Mm. And the thing is, that sitting with something that's familiar but that you don't understand is so uncomfortable. And, you know, I find art deeply uncomfortable and I have had to train myself to sit in that space to view art and it's still not easy for me. Like it's still not easy for me to walk into a gallery and see work and automatically my brain's like, like, I don't want to see that. Like, I don't, I don't want to engage with that. I don't like that. Or, and I think that, you know, these, there's these kind of like, like phrases that get used of like, yeah, my brain doesn't just work. My brain doesn't work like that. Or I'm not creative or I'm not this or I'm not that. And I think what being an artist and viewing artwork has taught me is to hold what I think I am very loosely mm-hmm. and what I think I can do very loosely. So I'm going to start thinking about, like, I guess, winding up our chat today. I like to ask my guests the same three questions at the end. But before we jump into that, I did want to quickly touch on something that is also now a big part of your life. And I didn't want to just ignore it. You did actually mention it earlier that you've completed a Master of Social Work. Firstly, congratulations, because that's a huge achievement. Um, But did you want to briefly speak to that and how you think it might shape or impact your artist trajectory is there a relationship between the two or do you think you'll run them quite parallel and separately in your life I think it's um I I mean I'm interested to see how it emerges 
I mean, I can already just, even just through, through studying, particularly development, like human development, child development, you know, ideas of trauma, um, identity, and just also, I guess, you know, a, a very strong tenet of social work is social justice. And it is a profession that, you know, has like there's been, uh, you know, there's been massive problems in the past and has been very problematic in the past because it's that notion of, um, you know, doing good for other people and what that means. Um, So there's that real social justice of, you know, bettering society, bettering people's lives but also like existing within a system that, you know, is very unwell and is set up for to, you know, you're kind of almost like helping right now. It, it does feel like you're kind of just trying to put a Band-Aid on like broken systems. And, and I say broken systems, but what I actually mean is systems that were not set up for a very large portion of our society. Um, yeah, it becomes so a very crisis-driven You know, model. there's a very, yeah, and there's a very, like I've always been very socially, social justice-minded, but I think that it has, you know, to be um, somebody who does good in the world, I don't think I anticipated how much self-reflection was required for that and how much questioning your own assumptions and questioning your... Um, preconceived notions of how things are you know to work with a person we can talk about person-centered practice you have to understand that person and what you know and empower that person to be as involved as possible in the changes that happen in their lives and I think that that's really made me also obviously I'd already built up that kind of questioning in art but I was very surprised at the overlap like you know, that kind of overlap of questioning and of I think having like a also like a moral imagination. So, you know, it's so easy to step into even just studying um, but looking at all these like really, really difficult things and working in these spaces that are really, really difficult and just seeing like how hard things are and how, bad things are and the harms that get that happen and you know it's really easy to be overwhelmed and that's an experience that I've kind of had is that real like moral outrage and real like overwhelm and I don't know how to take the next step and this is all really terrible and I think you know what social work has kind of done for me so far is like what can I do now And here's like maybe a framework of understanding or a framework of action. How can I act in this space right now for one person and then use that one person's experience also to enact systemic change or work towards systemic change? So it's kind of like, again, that dynamic and that both and and that being flexible and being, it's kind of like process-based art. It's just like that questioning and seeing and looking at the variables and just you know, kind of... Um, and holding the outcome Holding loosely. that yeah. loosely. And, like, you know, in I, one of my favourite things that have been said by a lecturer is sometimes in social work it's, like, what is the least shit outcome? Like, what is the least shittest option right now? Mm. And, like, I, I love that because sometimes in the studio and I get in there and, like, I can't do anything or I'm, like, overwhelmed and I... It's kind of like, what is like, what is the small thing I can do that maybe is like, you know, edging around a situation, you know, maybe it's edging Mm. around doing something like something's gotten really hard in the studio. It's like, what right now is the least worst thing I could do? And like just having that really, I think that of that is a really kind thing. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to see it unfold for you over the coming years and the next question, um, which is part of those three that I like to ask my guests, feeds into that a little bit, is what is a go-to art activity that's nurturing for you? Right now I've developed a, a phrase which is um, go with the dopamine. 
So it's like um, often it's like getting into the studio and just like, you know, when things are really rough outside, I've kind of made a commitment that I have my own space right now that when things are really hard, I don't want to make it even harder for myself in my studio. Um, so it's like, what do I just feel like doing? And it's having a lot of things around me and just kind of instinctively going for that. But I also always have something on the go that I don't have to think about. And it's usually my most nurturing thing is just to sit and stitch. And so I always have a stitching project. You know? Oh, lovely. Yeah. I'm really, really interested to hear my guest's answer to this because I think it's something that I get asked a lot and it's so different for everyone. I really want to normalize the fact that we all have barriers to art making and that's been something really lovely in this discussion is that you've highlighted throughout you know artists no matter how developed they are in their practices have rawness of feelings and difficulty and um you know it it's not easy just because we're creative and we're inherently creative and you've been creative your entire life basically um, doesn't mean that there's always an ease with that. So I wanted to ask you, is there any particular barrier to art making that you find is like your frequent barrier and any sort of quick tips that you would give others to Ooh. sort of try and... So are you talking about like psychologically or like internally or like, yeah. Yeah, either what or. Yep. So yeah, what sort of comes to mind is like a lot of people will say, or oh, procrastinating or my self, inner self-critic. Um, or mm-hmm. they might be like finding the time or finding the space or some people, their main barrier is just not knowing what to do. So I think oh. we all have like patterns of that. And often for people, one or two of those things will be their like barrier. And I think for people that have been practicing a while, we sort of like learn techniques and tips to try and um, navigate around that. I mean, like for me, I kind of, can still just get stuck in that when things get busy in life and I, you know, I go to, I'm not spending enough time in the studio and I just like, I, I really feel that. And I go that to that place so frequently of like, I'm not, I'm not getting enough time in the studio. Like I'm not here enough. I'm not doing enough. And like that can just be really, that can really impact the next step I want to take because I'm just stuck in that zone of like, hyper stress or like and I I think for me it's oftentimes just like not kind of sitting in there going in there feeling like already like stressed out that like I don't oh I'm not gonna have enough time in here and it kind of means that maybe the work doesn't get what it needs and you know the main barrier is me just going like not really being able to accept that that's where I am right now. That expectation. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of expectation, I think. Being in the studio and going, oh, God, this is so selfish, like so self-indulgent, like I should really be doing X, Y, Z. Like why am I in here? And it's like I can never win. Like do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I, I just put myself in that position where it's like I can never win. And I think that sometimes it's saying that a little bit, like having a bit of a joke to myself using humor a bit and like oh Deborah like you really can't win here can you like because you know last week you were like thinking you're selfish this week you're like I don't have much time so like you know kind of using that and then also like when I get in stuck in spaces like that um I've really learned to just you know if I can take half an hour I will take half an hour there are not many days that I don't go into my studio even if it's just I'm not doing anything and it's just a five minute look so just kind of having that consistency I found just really helpful even if it's a short amount of time yeah that's really helpful my third question is what's a creative wish you have or a creative dream I guess and it can be anything like it might be something just like really unusual or you might have some probably more time to just be creative obviously I've just been talking about how my life and artwork intertwine but I would love to be an artist who doesn't have to do like an outrageous level of paperwork. And like, I would love to be an artist who doesn't have to do marketing and doesn't have to kind of look for opportunities, kind of wish I could just make and live Mm. (laughs) and not have that kind of admin stuff or that other stuff that I'm, I'm not so great at. I don't know if that's, that's what you are angling at, but um, I think that's where my brain went to. Yeah. I think that would be so lovely. 
have like a little genie and like rub the little um yeah uh, or lamps the lamps and like the wish would be like oh i just wish that i had a even if it was just i wish i had a studio admin assistant who was oh, like yes. kind and friendly and got along with me and left me to be private while i was art making but also found all of the just knew which <laughs> which exhibitions mm. i wanted to exhibit in and how to do my taxes and <laughs> how oh yes That'd be perfect. Yeah. A manager. I need managing. Yeah. Well, I will put it out to the universe that perhaps in a Thank season you. of your life. <laughs> One day. Yeah. One day. Thank you so much for joining me today. And oh, thanks, yeah, Leon. It's been so good. We do often have long chats about all sorts of intersections between art and healing and um, especially with your fresh social work degree and your artist experiences. Um, I hope to have you on the podcast again sometime in the future. Oh, this has been such a pleasure. I love it. Thank you. I hope you found the conversation today between Deborah and I nourishing. She has such a beautiful way of sharing and normalising the navigations of life and creativity with such passion. If you want to connect a little more with her or find more of her work, you can find her on Instagram at Deborah underscore worthy underscore Collins or at DebraworthyCollins.com. Thank you so much for listening to Art Muse podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please like, share or follow on whichever listening app you use. If you want to keep up to date on social media, the best place to find us is on Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast. Mm-hmm.